I think the biggest surprise that I've witnessed is the, and it's a pleasant surprise, is how quickly we shifted to talking about mental health in the workplace. Um, we as an insurance company, but also companies as a whole, were really conservative about talking about mental health. So we would tiptoe around it a little bit, we would dance around it, we would talk about stress, we would talk about resilience, but we wouldn't talk about, um, you know, when people bring their whole self to work, they bring their whole self. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hi, this is Renee Koa from Zurich North America. Well-being is a concept that continues to resonate in our personal lives, but its importance is increasingly being addressed in the workplace. If it wasn't top of mind for companies before March of 2020, the pandemic took care of that. More companies are reevaluating how they're helping employees take a holistic approach to their health, not just physical health, but also financial, social, and emotional. Zurich, in fact, appointed Kristen Bajorit in June 2020 to the new position, Director of Wellbeing. Kristen joins us today to discuss how she and Zurich are addressing employee needs, how the definition of well-being continues to evolve, and what any size company can do to help improve their workforce's well-being, particularly as their employees take those first tentative steps back into the office. Kristen, welcome. Thanks, Renee. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Now, as the first director of well-being, you're setting all the precedents at Zurich. Can you share the journey that led to this position being created? Because I think it will help companies that are just beginning to explore well-being. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I've been with Zurich for almost 12 years and always in the benefits space but responsible for the health and welfare plans with well, wellness and well-being as, as kind of a side job to, to that. So um, within Zurich, we've always had a strong wellness program, but in 2019, we started to look at, at well-being. So moving from wellness to well-being from really a holistic perspective, right? So I think traditionally companies will think of wellness as the physical aspect, step challenges, biometric screenings, but we started to take a look at well-being from a, a four-pillar holistic perspective, and you had mentioned it, physical, financial, social, and emotional. So when we did that, we really started to, to look at how can we make this a priority and instead of part of what someone does, be the whole part of what, what a person does, right? Because there are a lot of different areas also that touch on well-being within HR. So like I said, I sit in the benefits team, but there's overlap from well-being from our employee experience and culture team, overlap with diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging, employer relations from an accommodation perspective. So creating this position to pull well-being to the forefront, create a strategy, and actually have it as part of our, our culture, which it is, and we've even brought it to be part of our employee value proposition. So it's our promise to employees as part of what they get when they come to work at Zurich. And I'm sure it's a very attractive um, value add too. Speaking for myself, when I was considering Zurich, even back in 2016, it was clear that um, there was a lot of attention being paid to employees. So um, jumping on those four pillars, 
Could you elaborate briefly on, on what each one of them represents and some of the initiatives that Zurich takes that other uh, companies could adapt? Sure, yeah, so um, you know, so physical well-being, it's managing the physical health, both from a lifestyle perspective, so, you know, I talked about step challenges, exercise, nutrition, but also being able to tackle illnesses. And part of what, um, what's rolled into physical too is the population health management. So looking at the medical claims, prescription drug claims, looking at what programs would help our employees to improve their overall health. Uh, the social well-being dimension really focuses on the aspect of understanding the value and strength of your network, right? So we understand that as beings, we need that social interaction. We need to feel like we belong. So really, how do we strengthen the network? How do we help people resolve conflicts and interests? Things like employee resource groups, volunteering, community investment, all of that is, is part of the social aspect. The emotional well-being is really just being self-aware and maintaining or improving on mental health. So, you know, emotional well-being, it can be anything from resilience, managing stress, handling, handling life crises, to making sure that we have the proper resources for people who may need more attention for their, their mental health and emotional well-being. And then from a financial well-being perspective, we're focusing on the ability for people to manage their financial commitments. So not just retirement, but whatever sort of financial goals you have in life and the ability to absorb financial shock. If, if you have a financial shock, so are you financially well from the perspective of if, if there's um, a loss of income or if something were to happen that in emergency that, that you have the, that resilience? Um, you know, I think the other aspect to this when I talk about holistic is that these obviously are, they overlap, right? So they are very interconnected. But definitely, right. I think, you know, for, for companies that are first starting out with this, um, one of the things that we did when we started to look at this is we took the four pillars, right, and then lined up what sort of benefits and policies do we already have that support well-being that we just don't have laid out within the, the way that actually calls attention to supporting well-being, right? So um, things like uh, summer hours, right? So summer hours is something that we offer our employees, and that really is from a social and an emotional well-being perspective, but it's not something I think that people traditionally look at from a well-being perspective. They may look at a vendor that you offer from a well-being platform, or maybe they're looking at an employee assistance program, but there are, if you're just starting out, a lot of ways that you can organize your benefits and policies to say, this is how we look at well-being holistically, and then start to market it, if you will, or communicate it from that aspect, right? So from a paid time off perspective. Yeah, and Kristen, I just wanna uh, jump in. I think summer hours are uh, vary among companies, but at Zurich, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, and because of the pandemic, it started a little earlier, we get to leave work two hours earlier on Fridays. Yes, yep, that's correct. I love that's summer correct. hours. Yes, and I love summer hours too, absolutely. So then um, you were saying that you started to look at data as well, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, so the other thing that we're doing as we're evolving our well-being strategy is starting to look at the data that comes from some of our vendors. So for example, if we are looking at our medical claims and we have high instances of musculoskeletal or diabetes claims, um, are there programs that we can look at that will help focus on these from a more preventive standpoint? 
or if we look at our behavioral health claims or our EAP claims or the things that if we see, okay, we have high instances of anxiety, what are we doing to help with that, to help our employees? And Renee, I just wanna be clear that when I talk about how, if we look at claims on something that we're looking at claims in the aggregate, we in the benefit space, we would never look at anyone's individual claim. It's always high level reporting on what some of the instances are that, that might affect our total overall population. That's terrific, um, very intuitive. Now, I'm guessing that the pandemic influenced this new attitude toward the importance of well-being. Yeah, I think the pandemic expedited the importance of well-being. We were starting to get there, right? We had already um, had the four pillars. I think it was already um, pretty well known that one in five people struggle with a mental health challenge. So understanding that it is important to focus on holistic well-being, but there, there definitely was more importance to it when the pandemic hit, you know, and I think when it started, it was really focused on the physical well-being aspect, right? Mm -hmm. So for, for us, I mean, first and foremost, you know, we wanted to ensure that our employees, customers, community were all safe from a health and safety perspective, right? So what are we doing from a physical well-being perspective to make sure that we're not um, transmitting or, or catching the, the virus? And then when the shutdown happened, and I can speak for myself, and I think a lot of people, it happened for a lot longer than anybody anticipated. So then realizing that we're, there were much broader emotional and social tolls because of the shutdown. So isolation, additional stress from homeschooling, if you had kids at home and you were trying to manage schooling and work, um, caring for elderly, if you had an elderly parent who you could no longer see or needed help, you know, and then there were the financial implications of furloughs, job loss, reduction in hours. And if it didn't happen to you, it could have happened to a spouse, a family member who you maybe now are stepping in to support financially. So that's where I think having this initially was really helpful to us, but I think it accelerated it for everybody and for us too. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'll tell you, even when friends were um, suffering financially, it, it was, it's just a very stressful time for everyone. And if you care about people, um, it's problematic. But I did want to ask you about this. The stressors from the COVID-19 crisis also coexisted with a newfound flexibility of not only working from home, but the discovery that a lot of people had, they were doing as good or, or better a job remotely. Now that companies are bringing workers back to the office and to their facilities, it's sure creating a lot of new conversations. And I wondered um, if you could talk about how priorities are evolving as the pandemic evolves. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's funny talking about um, new conversations, right? It seems like <laughs> anytime you run into someone, that's the conversation you have, right? Oh, are you in yeah. the office or are you home? So it's, it's, it's top of everyone's mind and everyone wants to know what are you doing? When are you going back? Um, you know, I think the priority does seem to be focused on how we bring people back into the office, but how we do it safely. And then for the positions that allow it, how do we do that in a hybrid model? From people having that ability to work from home and do it successfully, I think there's a lot of conversation of 
what sort of flexibility will you offer me once we go back into the office? And so I know we have a whole team that's working on this, the hybrid work model. We had, we had a flexible plan or flexible work arrangements before the pandemic, but now we're looking at, you know, what does FlexWork 2.0 look like? And some of this is defining what the purpose of the office is, right? So we had flexibility before, people work from home. We, we understand that, you know, for our culture, and for collaboration, community, all of that connection, we need people to be in the office, but for certain guardrails. So it, it's setting up principles for success, for being in the office, and then also not forgetting about the well-being of our employees when we do go back to the office. So, you know, we've talked a lot about physical safety. The virus is still here. The variants are here. So what are people doing to make sure that they have created a workspace that feels physically safe for people from a well-being perspective? And are they letting people know that so that it eases some um, stress and uncertainty of when they do go back to the office, right? And so I think there are other principles too in how we look at, um, even from an emotional well-being perspective, because we've all been home for 15, 16 months, and we've all gotten used to our current schedule. And that current schedule for, you know, for a lot of us doesn't mean running to the train, packing a lunch before we get to work, sitting in traffic. So these are all things that can really take, um, take a toll on our emotional well-being in a way because it's just exhausting, right? So we're not used to these things. It's creating a new norm. And there are things that we used to do pre-pandemic when we went into the office that were really from a... Um, just from a habit perspective, we would develop habits so we weren't thinking about what we needed to do to get back into whatever this new norm is. So everything takes thought. So how are we encouraging people to conserve their energy, take breaks, and build that into the principles that we're creating? That uh, makes so much sense. And I'm not going to let you stop talking about this with um, something you mentioned in an earlier conversation the best part, uh, <laughs> the best lesson uh, we've learned is? Don't come to work sick. Yes, <laughs> I really hope that that is something that sticks, that we no longer come to work sick. We don't feel like we have to come to work if we don't feel well. We're not spreading germs. I hope that that is the new norm. Absolutely. Me, me too. So um, now let's move on, uh, dig a little deeper into flex work today versus before the pandemic. And by flex work, I mean compressed work weeks, or maybe the ability to carve out work hours that make sense for you. And of course, the ability to work from home sometimes or all the time. Can you talk about the, uh, the role of this in the future and how companies need to address it? Yeah, you know, from everything I've seen and read, flex work in some capacity is now going to be the expectation of employees, right? I actually just saw, um, something that Mercer put out in a recent study that 56% of employees would consider switching employers if the flexibility is not maintained post pandemic. Wow. So I think, you know, getting back to what we talked about where we've all shown that we can do this, right? We've been successful, we've worked from home. So the expectation is that people want autonomy over their schedule. So understanding, again, I think it goes back to some of those guardrails and the principles on, on why you come into the office, but also from, an autonomy perspective and really just working to create a sustainable workforce, right? I, I think that part of what we've seen 
is that um, within the pandemic, I think there are reports that people are feeling kind of burnt out, right? So there's been a lot of juggling, there's been being home, there's been managing their kids. And one of the things that I read an article in um, Harvard Business Review, one of the five reasons that they listed for burnout is perceived lack of control. So this flex work really gives people the control to help them manage their day, feel empowered and balance their personal and work needs. And I think people have had a taste of that and they don't wanna go back to not having that. It, it certainly seems to be that way from my perspective and the people I've talked to. Now, what's the biggest surprise in the well-being program that you've witnessed since you started? I think the biggest surprise that I've witnessed is the, and it's a pleasant surprise, is how quickly we shifted to talking about mental health in the workplace. Um, we as an insurance company, but also companies as a whole, were really conservative about talking about mental health. So we would tiptoe around it a little bit, we would dance around it, we would talk about stress, we would talk about resilience, but we wouldn't talk about um, you know, when people bring their whole self to work, they bring their whole self. So some people have um, maybe having an emotional well-being challenge. How do you how do you support a person doing some manager trainings on if you are a manager and, you know, maybe you spot some signs, what are some things that you can do, things like that. So that, I think, has been a really, really pleasant surprise. Um, we've just become, I think, more empathetic as a society and as corporations in understanding that you know, we need to realize that people maybe have mental health challenges and there are resources we can point them to. And it's part of just being a human. Right. And I, I wanted to note something in uh, that we talked about, which is a podcast in and of itself. But that the social unrest that occurred in 2020 and, and which continues it brought a lot of workers speaking publicly about racism and the personal challenges they faced. That in turn, you mentioned, kind of helped to open up this whole topic of emotional well-being because it had a wonderful trickle-down effect on, on everyone and encouraged everyone to feel free to talk about their mental health challenges. Could you talk about what some of the things Zurich did that you think other companies can try to keep promoting this? Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, I agree that it is a whole podcast in itself, <laughs> for sure. Um, and I can speak to some of the things that we did from the diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging space as an observer, because that was handled by by someone else. But, you know, from, from the outside and, and being in HR, I think what we did that was really successful is that we created space for employees to have a voice and bring their authentic self to work. So, you know, we we took a look at our diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, and I had mentioned diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. So when we looked at our DNI strategy, leadership started to talk to some of our employee resource groups and understand that it includes equity and belonging. And so from a well-being perspective, if we as people don't feel that we have that psychological safety to be our, our our authentic selves at work, that it impacts our emotional well-being and it impacts who we are and, and how we do our work every day. So making sure that we integrated that. Um, we also, we had some very candid and vulnerable, vulnerable conversations that were hosted by our, our employee resource groups. So, um, you know, in particular, our Zurich African Ancestry Alliance group, they really opened the doors to have a conversation about how people were feeling in the wake of George 
George Floyd's murder. Um, and, and people showed really personal accounts of racism, racism they've experienced, microaggressions that they experienced. And I think that opened the door for other people to have conversations as well. So we had our Asian American and Pacific Islander ERG. They had a conversation around violence in the Asian community, what people had experienced, how to create allyship. And we also had, from a Mental Health Awareness Month, we had a panel discussion with a psychiatrist and a few employees who have had mental health challenges. And they talked about some of the challenges that they've had and the resources that Zerk provides that help them with that. And I think just having those conversations is a way to open things up, break down the stigma, understand that you know if you are struggling or going through something, you're not going through it alone. And oh, by the way, Zurich has some resources that can help and they're confidential as well. And they're really to help you as an employee. Could you elaborate on training managers to identify behaviors that might indicate someone is dealing with a serious emotional issue? How, how did managers react to the training? And could you offer some examples of behaviors that might be worrisome? Yeah, absolutely. We had a training for managers, um, I think it was in fall of 2020, that the entire training was focused on um, spotting mental health concerns for our employees and signs and symptoms that someone may be going through a mental health challenge. We have a person who's responsible for manager excellence and she will create forums. So this was one of them and it was really well received by the managers. Um, so some things to look for are, for example, if someone's lashing out or maybe they're having emotional responses to things that they wouldn't normally have emotional responses to. So it's either anger or they're teary or things like that. Um, if they're ha having trouble meeting deadlines, you know, these things I think maybe initially would or, or prior to a training might be considered performance issues, but it's not necessarily a performance issue, right? There, there could be something going on behind the scenes. Things like if you have somebody who is usually really decisive, decisive you know, all of a sudden they can't make a decision, right? Those are potential warning signs that, that something could be happening. So we laid out what some of the warning signs were, and then we talked to managers about how to have a conversation. Um, you know, first and foremost, we really emphasize with our managers that we do not want them to attempt to diagnose someone, right? We're not physicians, we're not mental health professionals, and the role of the manager is to really listen, be empathetic, and guide employees to the proper resources. So after just talking through, you know, we don't want you to diagnose, but then also here are some tips on things that you can do. So make sure that you're in a good place to have a conversation. If it's you know, if, if you notice something and you have to run to another meeting or you don't have time, that's probably not a good time to have that conversation. Good point. Um, are you in a place where you're, you're genuinely able to listen to someone? I think open-ended questions are really helpful too. Saying things like, I'm concerned about you, you don't see me yourself. Is there anything I can do to help? Right, so um, just having that, that soft conversation with some questions is always helpful. And if someone does start to talk, make sure that you're focusing on the person. So you don't wanna interject your own experience. And then you also wanna listen without judgment. And again, I think that just goes back to, to being empathetic. The other thing that you can do is, you know, encourage action and give resources. So if you have an employee assistance program, you can refer them to that. Maybe you have a coaching program that, that you could refer them to. Um, 
and I think finally, I'll, I'll just say, you know, recognize that not everyone does want to talk. So if they don't want to talk, you know, make sure that you have a plan to gracefully exit the conversation. Things like, you know, you don't, you seem like yourself. Please know that I'm here for you. We have resources to assist you too if you need them. And then just let it go. Now, I want to ask you about the employee assistance program, but but first I wanted to ask you a more general question about resources. Would a company go to their health insurer kind of as a, a way to start for um, for tips and ideas? Yeah, you you a company could go to their health insurer. So um, a health insurer could definitely provide the information on the claims and trends that you're seeing in your workforce, both from a physical and from a behavioral health perspective. Um, they will often have clinical programs that, that they can provide that would support your employees depending on, on what their need is. And you can also ask your health insurer, whoever your account manager is, what are you seeing other companies doing? What are some ideas that you've seen for people who have these, um, these high claims or these instances? So that's always helpful. We talked about the EAP provider. If you have an EAP, you can also look at that again and just asking what other clients are doing, I think is always helpful. You can survey your employees too, if you're looking for more insights to find out what their concerns are. What are their barriers to access? Do they understand what benefits they have? And, and then some other ways to get insights are there's always professional networks, um, associations or and consultants are always helpful too. Those are great ideas. Now I want to ask you about um, employee assistance programs because I'm not sure everybody knows what that is and how it works. Could you elaborate just a little bit? So an, an employee assistance program is there really for employees as a way to help them with different aspects of their life. I think traditionally people would think of it as um, a place that you would call for therapy and there there is usually a therapy component to it, but there are other components to it as well. So for instance, it usually has a 24 seven um, hotline that you can call. So you could talk to a master's level clinician and get some pretty immediate tips if you need help. Um, oftentimes, like I said, there is a therapy component to it, depending on what model you have. For us, we have six free sessions per issue per year. And that's where someone could go to get face-to-face -face free therapy. So it's, um, it, it's, just like the therapy that you would use if you needed it for your, your medical provider. So a licensed psychiatrist or a social worker, um, the, the session models, the six free sessions that we offer really help because you're, you're not paying for it as an employee. So you have that benefit to help with, with whatever your concern might be. Um, you know, there's oftentimes a work-life element to an employee assistance program as well. So I'd mentioned elder care, right? So there are things like elder care, where if you need help um, finding a resource maybe for a parent, we, I've had people come to me and say, oh my gosh, I use the elder care resources. I called the EAP and I have a, an elderly parent who lives out of state and they were so helpful in helping me understand facilities I could go to, what questions to ask, et cetera. So that's often very helpful. Um, they also have things like legal or financial assistance. So I think, you know, from my perspective, an EAP is really baseline for offering help to employees for their emotional well-being because it's a free service and it's there 24-7. It can really break down a lot of barriers for employees so they can get the care that they need and it's for their families as well. Right. That's fantastic. But Zurich, the EAP is for 
um, any employee or a member of the employee's family, right? And you don't have to be uh, enrolled in the in a Zurich healthcare program. That's correct. So it's for benefits eligible employees and their family members. I think when they were created, it was you know the the realization that um, if your family is is struggling, then you're probably struggling too. Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out. So how does attention to well-being play out these days in terms of employee retention? I wanted to ask you about that, given the fact that right now um, companies across the country are grappling with what the media is calling the great resignation. I have seen studies that show that employers who focus on well-being have a much higher engagement. So I, I think that if if you have focused on well-being, um, just from from the studies and even anecdotally from our own employees, that companies that were proactive with their workers' well-being, it, it creates a lot of goodwill and it really does help that engagement. Um, I think we're now managing more than we've ever managed before in, in some respects, right? So um, again, I, I talked about the working from home and, or, and maybe having kids at home and the social isolation, things like that. So the companies that pivoted and provided resources, I think are probably better able to retain their employees. Um, you know, we at Zurich, over the course of the pandemic, we conducted multiple pulse surveys to our employees to find out what they needed from a well-being perspective. Um, we looked at the results, we responded with new solutions, and in some cases, you know, we brought life to maybe some policies that people weren't actually aware of. And because of that, I think we had really good feedback that people were really, really grateful for how Zurich responded and they felt very cared for. That's terrific. And you also noted, though, if companies haven't started this now, it's never too late to start, right? Correct. It's never too late to start. So, I mean, companies could definitely start now. They could start asking their employees, are there things that you need from a well-being perspective? And then I think the key always, if you're asking, is to respond, right? So you you can't you can't ask the question and then not do anything with the information. That doesn't go over very well with employees. And even if it is just that you have these policies in place or you have these benefits in place and they're not very well highlighted and you're just again bringing light to something that you already offer. Um, but but it's definitely not too late. Are these pulse surveys uh, just sending out um, e email surveys that employees can fill out anonymously? Mm-hmm. That's okay. what it is. So they're they're email surveys. Yep. And you you really do emphasize it's really important to get feedback from your workers. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's really important. And I can give an example of of one of the things that that I found out, right? So earlier this year we did an emotional well-being survey just on um recognizing what employees understood about their benefits. So do you know that you have an EAP? Do you know that you have a six session limit? One of the things that came back in the comments that I saw were that multiple people said that they didn't have access to the benefit because they weren't enrolled in our medical plan. So from my perspective, I thought we had done a good job of communicating that everybody is eligible for the EAP, but it turns out that my reality was not the actual reality of the employees. So it can really help you understand where your gaps are and what people need, because we may have one idea as benefits professionals, well-being professionals or whatnot, but the reality could be very different. Good point. And 
Kristen, I love that you've been um, giving so many tips for uh, things companies can do, uh, companies of any size. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I think from a strategy perspective, if well-being is something that you want to bring to the surface, um, that's not combined into another role, right? It, it's looking at how to reprioritize maybe your team or your group to, to bring that to the forefront. So when the role was created, we did some shifting within our team and um, you know, someone else took on the medical plan management. I pulled in um, the financial well-being tool that we offer because somebody else was managing that. So we shifted priorities within the team so that we could have space for this well-being role. If it is a priority, there are creative ways that you can bring this to the forefront. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, I don't want it to end. And so it will not end. It's time for the lightning round. <laughs> Kristen, I'm going to ask you a few questions and um, you can answer quickly, but feel free to elaborate. Are you ready? I'm ready. One, what's the best part of working remotely? Ooh, um, besides having my dog with me all the time, which I love, I would say, you know, I'm in a lot of meetings and so I would have to go and look for conference rooms for the meetings and not having to run and look for a conference room has been pretty great. I've appreciated that. <laughs> Two, what's the worst part of working remotely? Uh, the fact that the work is always there. So it's um, something that I consciously have to make sure that I am turning off on nights and weekends so that I'm not overextending myself. Three, as director of well-being, what's your favorite way to de-stress? Uh, running, for sure, is something that I do on a regular basis to help me manage my stress. Four, where would you go for a relaxing vacation? For a relaxing vacation, I actually like to go to cities or towns and explore, um, so sightsee, I have some really good food, conversations with, it's usually my family I'm vacationing with, um, and just kind of wandering around and seeing a new place. Terrific. And five, what is the most important skill a leader should develop? I would say definitely empathy. Um, I think if nothing else, this past uh, 15 months have shown us that uh, it's very important to lead with empathy and compassion. Okay, now we're done, Kristen. I want to thank you so much for sharing all of these great insights. Thanks so much for having me, Renee. I appreciate it. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee 
guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.